Welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage. This podcast is dedicated to helping attorneys earn more money, get better clients, and spend more time with family. I'm your host, Alej Yajnik, founder of Law Firm Success Group. Smart business guidance for small law firms begins in three, two, one. And it's my pleasure to welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage, Keith Atnison, founder of Freedom Summit Consulting. Keith, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. It's good to be here. It is great to chat with you and uh, really excited to talk today about business succession. So I know this is an area that you're focused on. You have a pretty unique way that you got into this. Please share your story with us. Sure. Well, the the short uh, version of it is my wife lost her parents in a car accident in 2004. And so that motivated me to help families prepare for that eventual transition and be good stewards as well with the time that we have here. That brought me into financial services uh, where I've worked in for, for nearly two decades and 10 of those years with a trust company working with higher net worth families. That, and what I found is for most families, I don't have data on this, but I, I, anecdotally, I think it's well over 90% of high net worth families, say over $10 million, either have family business currently or did have family business in real estate. So that's where I saw there's this huge opportunity and a lot of planning that needs to be done. And Keith, why is it that attorneys uh, who may not be at that 10 million mark, why is it that they should be thinking about exit planning? Sure. Well, you know, anybody that's engaged in small business should be thinking about where is this eventually going? What does success look like? When I press for mission from small business owners or professionals like attorneys, a lot of times it's just autonomy and and perhaps increased income potential is, is why they go into private practice and have that independence. And so that's good thing to have, right? We all want to have autonomy and, and good cash flow, but when we start thinking about the duration of our lifetime and beyond our beyond our lifetime or be, at least beyond our capacity to work vocationally, what else would we define success as? And certainly the first box of financial security needs to be checked. Nobody wants to go broke, uh, you know, in their mid-80s and that's not good at all. But let's say we check that box and say, okay, there's been enough that's set aside or there's enough value here that can be transferred to have financial security. But what else is important in terms of the work that you've done and the legacy that you want to leave? Well, there's a lot of, I love that last point about the work you've done and the legacy you want to leave. An attorney will spend much of their professional career building this amazing law firm and taking care of countless clients. And so it's it's so sad when you know the attorney's ready to to leave, they just kind of close the door and turn off the lights and call it a career. I mean, there's so much more they could be doing with that that could help them not only financially, but also help them, like you mentioned, leave a legacy. And there's a couple of ways to do that. One is through you know external succession by merging your firm with another firm. The other one is through doing it internally, which is bringing someone internal to the firm, training them up and having them take it over. And Keith, have you, maybe you could share with us a quick example of a situation, doesn't have to be a law firm, but it's great if it is, a situation where you've seen someone do just that. Yeah, there, there actually was a CPA firm that I was engaged with that had over 50 employees. And it was a typical scenario for where I think a lot of accounting and law firms, or even professional service practitioners, where everybody that's in leadership is still doing production. And that's how they're compensated as well. And often the lion's share of their compensation is through production. And that makes sense for smaller firms as they're getting started. But once you hit a certain, let's say 10 
plus employees, that's a great time to begin to rethink among the partners, how should compensation be developed for that senior leadership and particularly someone who's a managing director or CEO role? If it's a fractional amount of their compensation that's attributed to their leadership and people development, talent attraction, talent development, you're going to get a very fractional effect, right? Because the compensation is just not there. You got 60% plus of compensation being off of production. They're naturally going to gravitate towards production. Plus, that's probably what they've been doing for the last decade or two or three. And so there has to be a real intentional process of saying, what do we want to have happen here? And if the, the firm wants to grow in size and impact, but also develop enterprise value, there's going to have to be some intentional structuring of those roles and related compensation. So Keith, for the attorney entrepreneurs that are listening, what is enterprise value? Yeah, so there's the just income that we produce, the discretionary free cash flow from any business. And the issue is when you have an owner operator that a majority of sales operations or professional services are being provided by that owner or owners, partners, if we unplug those partners or owner from the operation, it falls apart. And so when we have any business that's really well designed from a growth standpoint, where the CEO is spending most of their energy is on vision. Where are we going versus our competition? Where's technology going? Where's the economy going? Strategy, how are we going to get there and fulfill that mission? And culture, what's our core values and are people reflecting those? And so when you find a business where the CEO or leader is really, most of their time is on that culture, strategy, and vision, that's where we're going to see there's enterprise value because we can take that owner out of the equation and the business is still going to function just fine. Now, eventually there's going to be some problems as we need new vision because competition changes and there needs to be some leadership there. But if the leader is most of their time is going into production, then there's really minimal enterprise value. Because in a lot of cases, if someone externally is to buy that business, they're at least going to be looking for that seller to stay on for a period of time, uh, which can be a very uncomfortable situation and not exactly what the seller was looking for. And the only way to really avoid that is to build enterprise value that's not dependent on the owner or owners. Yeah. So maybe one question that attorney entrepreneurs who are listening can ask themselves is, if you pull yourself out of the business, what's left that's worth selling? In other words, what's left that someone else would want to buy? Is it your caseload? Well, again, if we pull you out of it, it may not be your caseload anymore, but maybe it is. Is it the caseload of your other attorneys and staff? Is it a way that that clients come into the firm? Maybe you've got a really good SEO, pay-per-click strategy to bring clients in kind of on autopilot. Those are the kinds of things that we talk about when we talk about enterprise value. And Keith, when people are thinking about that, if they don't have enterprise value, if they look at their firm and they think, oh my gosh, the firm is just, you know, it's wrapped around me. It's me and I'm the firm and that's the way it is. How can they change? Well, I guess the first question is, should they change that? Mm. Or should they just kind of play out their hand and when they're done, close the doors? Yeah, I I think that's a great question. Either way is okay, as long as there's just an understanding of what that path is is most likely going to look like. There's value in simplicity. And the more people that we're working with, the more complicated life gets. That's just kind of the nature of 
working with people, myself included, right? And so as we expand an organization and we have more people involved and, and then we need to have kind of a middle management role, there becomes more potential for there to be a separation or gap of founders intent or values and what's actually happening in rank and file. And that's true in any organization. And so there's going to have to be more time spent then on structure and culture, where when you have a lean, mean practice that's an attorney and maybe a paralegal and an assistant, you know, real, real basic, there's not as much complexity. We're probably not going to have a big gap in values, alignments, and founders' intents because the founder has the ability to reach out and, and work with these folks and, and coach them and make sure things are being done the way they should be done. Um, and so there's value to that simplicity. It's just that when it comes time for retirement, that practitioner needs to have been saving money aside in whatever kind of mechanism they use and have some wealth that they can they can bank on basically to have independence financially. And so some folks are okay with that. Other folks have aspirations of really accumulating more wealth through building enterprise value. And also enjoy the challenge of, I want to build a business here. I don't want to just be a practitioner, but I actually want to build something that has greater impact. Absolutely. And that's, you know, we talked about having this apply to coaches. <laughs> totally applies to coaches. Um, I'm trying to build Absolutely. something that has enterprise value. And I, I know it's not an easy road to take. So uh, Keith, you're absolutely right that, you know, it's okay if you don't want to choose that path to build enterprise value as an attorney. But I would encourage you, at least if you're listening to this, to think through that because there is a lot of value in doing so. And it doesn't have to be all that complicated. I know attorneys, for example, who have brought on junior attorneys who have taken over the practice when the senior attorney is ready to step aside. And there's a vehicle for doing that. It's uh, internal succession, both operationally as well as financially. Uh, Keith, what would you suggest to attorneys who are think who, are, who want to do that? They want to do an internal succession, pass the business off to a junior partner. Uh, what are some things they should be thinking about as they embark on that? Well, I think I'll broaden it just a little bit. Whether the intent is an internal transition or an external transition, in either event, the stronger your leadership team is, and the more defined and effective your processes are, the higher the probability you'll have success on either of those paths. And so I think that's that's a starting premise is the stronger we can make that management or leadership team, the healthier the organization is in, in any circumstance. But the starting point, I think, is really an audit of current owner or owner's activity on a weekly, monthly basis. Where is their time being allocated? And it's not hard to come up with an exhaustive list of the different functions that might happen within a law practice, all the way down to the admin, right? All the way to getting office supplies. What's that full list of activities that need to happen within the practice or the firm? On a scale, how involved is that owner in each of those activities? They own it. They're the only one that touches it. They have exclusive decision-making. And nobody else is involved or even knows what's involved in getting that particular function done. To they get some help, but they still oversee it. To somebody else is really driving it, but they kind of have the veto or final say. To they've completely handed it off and trusted to somebody, or they've outsourced it. Right. So there's a whole range there of how various functions can be applied or executed. And so having an audit of where's the time going. And that, and that includes clients and cases. 
Um, there may be clients that are retainer relationships or are just long-standing recurring relationships. Those should be segmented. Uh, and so through segmenting of, of clients and also activities, beginning to prioritize what's the least return on time for this current owner. Use the example office supplies, right? That's that's not a great use of time to, for the uh, the principal or owner to be out. Wait, it's it's not not really not not really why all you right, went to well, law school and did all that. I'll hand off right? my Staples account. <laughs> <laughs> so that I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but you'd be surprised how many functions on an operational side or business development side that people get pulled into. That really, if somebody else, if you can delegate something off your plate. Somebody can do 80% as well as you can. And that's not 100%. They're not, you're not thrilled all the way, but it's pretty good. 80%. You should be. You should be delegating that. If you want to grow enterprise value, you should be doing that. And you still coach. It's not like it's just, well, if 80% is not good enough, you know, it's not that we just walk away and say, well, I guess that is what it is. No, there's still some coaching involved, but it should be delegated away. And so I think that's that's the first step. I think another element of it though, too is taking time to really get to know those junior associates or folks that are coming on board. A lot of times I'll come across folks that state they have an open door policy when it comes to the folks they're supervising. And that's a red flag for me. What I found is with an open door policy, people come through that open door when they're at the end of their rope or they're about to explode (laughs) because they're really frustrated and emotional at that point. At a minimum, Scheduling monthly one-on-one meetings with staff, let's say direct reports specifically, which no one should really have much more than six direct reports, right? If, if you have more than six direct reports, it's probably time to start thinking about which of those direct reports can fill a, a management function. But you've got six one-on-one meetings a month, takes maybe 30 minutes. It's each person, right? So that's three hours out of your month. Why would you spend three hours out of your month to connect one-on-one with your direct reports? Well, the first is so that hopefully you can diffuse things before somebody gets to the end of the rope or before they're about to explode. But as well, with a proper framework, it creates an opportunity to really probe, not every single month, but at least once annually to have a framework for saying, what are your aspirations? Where are you trying to go vocationally? How, How is this person wired? There's lots of great assessments, as we know, through groups like Focal Points to get some talent assessment and awareness. But that gives you information as a practitioner owner to say, this person has aspirations or this person's just fine being like a minder keeper. They just want to keep the assembly line going. They're not interested in leadership. They're not interested in, in growing in business. Let's not try to shoehorn them into something that they didn't want in the first place and probably aren't wired for as opposed to someone who's aspirational and beginning to think about what's the development path look like for them. Yeah. And if this sounds to you, you know, this is for you attorney entrepreneurs that are listening. If this sounds like things that you don't think about very much, but you own your firm and maybe you've got one employee or maybe you're thinking about hiring someone and you listen to this conversation going, man, what are they talking about? One-on-ones with employees and staff and you know, diffusing situations before they get too far out of hand. And if I have six employees, I should think about a manager and all these things. It's because owning a law firm is a different mindset. You need to start thinking as a business owner. And these are the things that business owners think about. They think about vision. They think about their team. They think about putting in structure in the business. So the business runs well when they're not there. 
and coincidentally, a business that's running well when the when the managing partner is on vacation happens to be a law firm that's going to be attractive for others to buy for exactly that same reason. Why don't we wrap it up with a final point? Sure. Well, you know, the easiest thing to do in this arena is nothing. The easiest thing to do is continue to just operate, especially if nothing's broken per se, right? We've we've got good discretionary free cash flow. We're taking care of clients and the staff, you know, they, they seem to be happy. But there are a couple of different trends that will eventually surface. And, and that can be market trends where the economy um, is in a more difficult place. Interest rates are increasing right now, for example. And so it's a little bit harder to get money for acquisition. So the, the buying environment's not quite as hot as it has been in prior years. And then there's life season trends too. And, and that can be health related. Of course, there can be other things like divorce or, or partnerships that, that split. And so it behooves folks to begin planning sooner than later, if they, especially if they want to have business or enterprise value. A healthy business is marketable. So even if a practitioner says, I don't want to exit this for 20 more years, it's still a good goal to move as quickly as possible towards being a, a transferable business, not necessarily with the intent of transferring it within the 20 years. It's just a healthier business. And the, the last thing I'll say is I, I think a good starting point for everyone is at least a contingency plan, which is if something were to happen tomorrow, what's the ideal outcome with the resources that we currently have? Just like an estate plan, but for the business or for the practice. Awesome. Thank you, Keith. And what are some of the things you're looking forward to in your business over the next year? Well, I am a, a, a refugee from the Seattle area into North Idaho. So we relocated our family over here. And uh, it's a really interesting part of the country. We're both North Idaho and Spokane area of Northeast Washington. I've had a ton of folks that are of capacity and resource. And so there's a, a generosity council that's newly formed in Spokane that I've got some engagement with. And that for me is a bullseye is, is when I can find uh, a business owner who has a heart for generosity and we figure out uh, what's the best way to facilitate that. And in a lot of cases, using their business as a mechanism for it. So that's, that's what I'm really looking forward to seeing develop in the next year. Awesome. And if people want to reach you and connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, website is a, is a great way to learn a little bit more. That's freedomsummitconsulting.com. As well, my email is keith, K-E-I-T-H, at freedomsummitconsulting.com. Fantastic. Keith, thank you so much for being on the program today. Likewise, it was great getting to chat with you. Everyone, that's Keith Atnison, founder of Freedom Summit Consulting. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Lawyer Business Advantage podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in to listen. And I want to hear from you. So connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think of this episode. And if you are a solo or an owner of a small law firm, and you're looking to earn more money, attract better clients, or reduce your stress, we would love to talk with you to see how we can help. Request your free law firm assessment by visiting lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. Again, that URL is lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. We look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you for listening. My name is Ale Yajnik. Until next time, remember... You can seize freedom. You can embrace happiness. You can build your perfect practice.